Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode three of Cloud Accounting Weekly, the podcast edition. Cloud Accounting Weekly is a weekly newsletter that I send out uh, about accounting technology, uh, productivity tips, um, the latest trends, what's going on in, in apps. And this is uh, available to you at newsletter.blakeoliver.com. We're doing the podcast edition, which confusingly is monthly uh, rather than weekly, but the newsletter goes out weekly. And what we have done today is selected the five top stories from the past month. And my guest and I are going to discuss them and talk about uh, what they mean for accountants. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm your host today. I am very recently the senior product marketing manager at Flowcast. I joined the company here uh, in Los Angeles in December. You can follow me on Twitter at Blake T. Oliver, and my website is blakeoliver.com. But enough about me. I'm more interested in our guest today, David Leary. He is the global small business ecosystem evangelist at Intuit and actually has a longer job title than I do which is very refreshing. You can follow him on Twitter at David Leary and on the web at davidleary.com. David, thanks for being with us today. Blake, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really excited about this. I feel like um, two years ago, maybe three years ago, you and I were chatting like, we should do a podcast together. Finally, we're doing one episode together, like two years later. And I am so excited to have you uh, because you operate in the accounting tech world that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, it's been amazing to watch the QuickBooks online ecosystem grow from a handful of apps to how many is it now? Over 500? Yeah, we have over 500 on apps.com. And I think there's another 2000 integrations with QuickBooks online. And I still feel like there's another thousand small business apps out there, right? That eventually should integrate with QuickBooks. That's incredible. And all of this has so happened. There's a lot of action in our space. Yeah. All of it's happened in a really short amount of time, right? I mean, we're talking, what, five, less than 10 years, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you're probably in a timeline of like five, six. I mean, I, I think some of the companies that are out there, they've been around six, seven years, but it doesn't have any momentum, right? Things didn't really start happening until probably like November 2013, I think is kind of the tipping point when things really started to take off for QuickBooks Online and, and all the app developers, et cetera. And you've been with Intuit for quite a long time, right? Uh, how long have you been with Intuit, and and how did you end up in this this unique role? So I've been into it for 21 years. So how I got to this role, long story, but I uh, took a job uh, years ago in tech support. So I started out doing tech support for QuickBooks DOS 2.0 and the first QuickBooks Windows version, uh, version four. And so I did about four or five years of QuickBooks tech support, talked to 20,000 small business owners and accountants, and then I got involved in uh, quality assurance, uh, part of that into product management, got a little bit involved in engineering, just enough to uh, know uh, you don't want me coding things. Um, the marketing, I've done almost everything related to QuickBooks, except for commission sales. Like I've never actually had to sell QuickBooks. Um, in, in any of my roles. And then I got on to kind of what's a, a good, perfect fit for my skill set, which is I started to get involved with the developer team. And the developer team as a developer evangelist, you're really, you doing some of it 
tech support, some of it's marketing. I tell people like I sell dreams to developers and I sell dreams to accountants about the cloud. And so that's where I've kind of evolved to this uh, current title of a small business evangelist because it, I really talk to accountants, developers, and small business owners all talking to the entire ecosystem, not just one uh, silo of the ecosystem. That's awesome. And I, I'm so glad that that's the case because uh, you, I'm sure you have a unique perspective on the stories that we're going to discuss today. So let's get right into it, shall we? Uh, for those of you who are new to the podcast, we select five of our top stories and uh, just talk about them, share them with you and, and share uh, what, what, what happened and what, what we think uh, the implications are for accounting professionals. So I'm going to go first. My story is a breaking news story from this morning, and it is about Kodak. So Kodak shares, uh, this is a story on, on CNBC, they have more than tripled since the company announced its new cryptocurrency, which is called, quote, Kodak Coin, unquote. Um, and this is just insane, if you ask me. There's been a lot of blockchain Bitcoin insanity going on with the price of Bitcoin hitting you know, ridiculous amounts over $10,000 uh, and then going up and down over 25% in you know from one day to the next. And I think this story just epitomizes the insanity going on in the blockchain world right now. Uh, apparently, this coin is going to be, uh, it, it doesn't even exist yet. Kodak has simply announced that it is going to exist in their shares of crypto. Um, and the purpose of the currency is going to be to uh, uh, track for digital photography rights and royalties. David, am I, am I insane or has the world gone crazy? I think the world's gone crazy. And as soon as you sent this to me, I was like, oh, like two days ago, I just heard about a different company, um, something called like the, let's get it right. They're the Ice Tea Company. They were uh, out of New Jersey, I think. And they were, they used to be the Long Island Ice Tea Corp. And they've changed their name to Long Blockchain. And their stock immediately skyrocketed. So it's kind of, the, yes, I think we are in a little bit of an insane time when it comes to blockchain. So yeah, that that story is nuts too. There's another company um, that's been going around selling um, a coin um, different than Bitcoin. They created their own, just like Kodak is doing, and it has no value at all. They actually say this in their prospectus that this coin doesn't give you any ownership stake in the company. Uh, it's it's a completely worthless, and yet they have raised something like seven hundred million dollars uh, in the last year doing this, and it. It's got to be just because everybody is f hyped up on this and wants to get in, and there's just some really stupid money, like floating around right now. I, in, I've been listening to a lot of um, Planet Money podcasts about bubbles. They really they talk about all tons of bubbles, and I, and I, you know, and the one I really think applies to this. Any article you see about Bitcoin, change the word Bitcoin with Beanie Baby, and the article still works. It's so weird, and you know, it's part tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, it shows kind of how crazy it is that you can stick the word Beanie Baby in the article completely, even if it has a quote from somebody justifying right, the, the cost of a Bitcoin. I think I'm going to have to go back. The exact same statements. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back to all the Beanie Baby stories and look for business opportunities um, now with blockchain just using the same you know, concepts. That haven't have been created yet, absolutely. All right. Well, yeah, be careful. I think the uh, the in that other article about the IST company, the SEC is starting to crack down on this game, though. So you can't just you know call yourself blockchain. 
Oh, too bad. So we're late to the party. Oh, well. Well, enough of that blockchain insanity. I wanted to share another article, uh, and this is one uh, that, full disclaimer, I wrote. Uh, it's on CPA Practice Advisor, published December 21st, so right before the break, about five predictions for accounting in 2008, one of those classic articles, what do we think is going to happen in the accounting profession? So I had a few predictions. Um, not really worth sharing all of them here in, in this podcast, but I'll pick out my favorite. Um, I, I think that we are – so there's been a lot of hype about automation, AI, and machine learning over the past few years, and not actually very much has come of it, right? Uh, and I think that this is the year where we will finally start seeing some real applications of automation having to do with artificial intelligence and machine learning that are going to actually start – replacing jobs at the staff level. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I believe this is going to happen based on my own experience, having started out my career as a bookkeeper. Uh, and that, that job is basically almost gone, uh, the traditional job of you know, data entry, keying in transactions. And it was, it was a QuickBooks desktop job. That's what I was doing. And then the online product came out, um, you know, no longer having to key transactions in, pulling them in via bank feeds, using setting up rules and all that. Like the job is gone. Or we may call it bookkeeping, but it's very different than it used to be. And I think that now that, that bookkeeping has been mostly automated, we're going to finally start seeing that happen with uh, staff level accounting jobs. So in audit, for instance, maybe the, the work that's being done, you know, at a, at a very basic level, junior level sort of thing. So David, I'd love to get your thoughts on any of my predictions for 2018 or, or, or I know that you're writing an article that's going to be coming out soon. I'd love to hear your thoughts. What's going to happen this year? Possibly. I definitely thought you were number four, the automation AI. When I saw that, I made myself a little note. I was like, you didn't really go out on a limb on this one too much. Like it, 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 to me, it feels so obvious that this is coming. And, and maybe it won't replace jobs, but I think maybe accounting firms now have um, options. Like when they're like, hey, I need to hire a bookkeeper or I need this extra work done, I could hire a bookkeeper or I might be able to outsource that work to labor in another country or I might be able to outsource that work to an app, right? Or some automated process that might handle this for me. So I think that's, it's, the decision's equal now, right? It wasn't a, where, hey, I just need to get a bookkeeper. I need somebody to do some data entry. And you just did it. And now you have the options of maybe I don't need to do that. And you're right. It's because that, that's now an option as a choice, you're right. It's probably going to affect staff or the, the or impact the, the, the forced decision to hire staff. You now have the option to possibly not do it. Exactly. Um, and I'm curious to know, are there any... I remember at QuickBooks Connect, I wasn't able to make it this past year, but the year before, there was a lot of talk about um, AI. Are there any? Is there any anything being done right now with uh, AI in the in the QuickBooks app that you can share with us? I mean, there's definitely just the bank feeds, right? I think those are starting to push the uh, 92, 93, 94% automated uh, posting, right? And then if a lot of the accounts are tweaking those and squeezing them on a client by client basis and creating rules to where they're getting, you know, 100% of that automated. And then we're still always looking for other ways, right? Because there's still other data out there. Um, you know, people have data in MindBody, they have data in these other places that, you know, 
currently a lot of people are massaging that manually. They're typing it in, they're massaging it, putting it through a spreadsheet, then putting it into the accounting system. And I think there's more and more things being built to automate those processes. Awesome. So it's kind of moving beyond bank feeds now, right? Um, and it's not all done by us either, right? It's done by, you know, lots of app developers, not just yep. by what, what QuickBooks is doing. Well, I think it's great. Anything we can do to get rid of that tedious work. Um, I think I developed, you know, terrible carpal tunnel from those days that will never go away. So <laughs> anything anything we can do to, to make that automated. It's great. All right, next story. Oh, this is quite relevant. Intuit acquires T-Sheets for $340 million. Uh, not exactly the freshest story. It is from early December, but I couldn't resist but include this in our discussion today, David, given your position into it. Um, huge big deal. Uh, a lot of people talking about this on uh, social media. Really great for the T-Sheets team. Um, uh, uh, very happy for them. Um, they had over 35,000 customers at the time of acquisition, according to this TechCrunch article, anyway. Uh, and it had, what's amazing is they had only raised 15 million up to that point. So taking 15 million and turning that into 340 million is pretty spectacular. And it was, uh, it still is one of the top QuickBooks apps on the App Store. And I understand that T-Sheets is going to become further integrated into QuickBooks uh, with possibly being rebranded as Time Capture. So I'd love to get your take on this, David, as the ecosystem guy. Yeah, so I don't have any uh, inside track or any uh, special information or anything like that. I, I just, uh, you know, I could, the story of it's pretty amazing, right? Like I've known Matt and uh, Brendan for a long time. And, um, you know, even when they first came on, you know, when you think about it, then they had like 60, like 60 customers using T-Sheets and QuickBooks Online, right? And to think about where it's at now is, is really, really an amazing story. Um, I did not know about the branding. Was that in the article? Maybe I just missed it about the branding yeah. on that part. It's at the very end of the article, so I wasn't sure if that was uh, correct or where they'd gotten that information from. But I because I, I, I did also hear that T Sheets is going to stay a separate product. Um, at least that's the plan. And that's right for as well. Yeah. 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 So, but there already is a deep integration with T Sheets in QuickBooks. So, right, it's a native. How do you describe those, like the bill.com, the T-sheets inside of QuickBooks? Do you have a name for that? Uh, we're, it's using the UI plugin, right? Like we would love to start maybe possibly do the lots and lots, but so, so it's kind of early test. But yeah, where the UI of QuickBooks is an integration point instead of just the data through the API. Got it. So it's we're trying to, to do more of. Um, one thing I thought was interesting about this acquisition versus I know into some acquisitions in the past and we've thought in the past and one thing I think that's interesting about this one is it's a culture fit and what I mean by that is like I really look at t-sheets and I'm like they treat customers they treat small uh, developers they treat accountants in the same way we do as an to it I know we've done uh, these we bought I, I know right I remember going to Manforce and I was like wow that's like a boiler room <laughs> right there's their sales department it's like it just from a culture perspective like I'm not sure this is going to work in the long term Right. So that, that's one of the things as far as like when these when these acquisitions like this happen, you always wonder, how's it going to work? But because I think they have the same core values and the way they treat people, I think that's what's going to help this. Awesome. Well, uh, congrats again to the T-Sheets team and um, best of luck to them. And uh, uh, hopefully there will be some great uh, I'm, I'm really hoping for 
you know, serious job costing um, as a result of a deeper integration with T-Sheets. And I think that's the thing that's been holding back a lot of uh, QuickBooks desktop users from moving to the cloud, has been having the ability to cost out labor uh, in a really, really easy way. So that's that's my hope if anyone is listening. Yeah, I also think it's going to help all that self-employed group as well. Um, yes. I think that the QuickBooks self-employed app, you know, it does mileage, it does personal business expenses, but you can't really track time on it. Nope. Um, and I think that's another you know piece of this that'll that'll help. Um, and yeah, I think it would be nice if T-Sheets did instead of if companies do a stock buyback, maybe T-Sheets will do a T-shirts buyback, and we could all we could all benefit from this sale. Makes sense. All right, moving on. Number four on our list of top stories. This is an article on the Signal versus Noise blog, which is run by the guys who started Basecamp. Basecamp is a popular project management application that's very affordable and, and really, really well designed. And they write a lot of excellent content that's not just about the product, it's about how to be more productive in general. So I follow them on their Medium blog. I highly recommend that you do as well. And the article I'd like to share today is called, It's Time for Recurring Meetings to End. Why are we still doing this to each other? And for those of you who are listening in to the podcast, not live um, and can't see my screen, there's a funny e-card here that says, uh, it's a picture of, of four people sitting at a conference room table. And the caption is, we will continue having lots of meetings until we find out why no work is getting done. So this is near and dear to my heart because I hate long-standing meetings. And it's actually one of the reasons why Flowcast was developed because our founder was sitting in long stand-up meetings. Uh, well, they weren't stand-up meetings because they were so long, just long conference room meetings every week, multiple times per week during the monthly close. Uh, just And the purpose of the meetings was just for everyone to stay on track. So he thought, let's create an app so that everyone can stay on track without having to have these four-hour meetings twice a week. And that's just one particular you know, instance of this philosophy in action. Basecamp, of course, is a very you know, excellent, wide... Uh, ranging application that fits a lot of needs that does the same thing. So, uh, you know, that's my, I, I agree with this. If, if you are in a firm that has lots of standing meetings, go find this article on the Signal V Noise blog, send this to all the partners at your firm or send this to everyone in your company because it might help uh, convince them to switch away. Uh, David, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I, I thought it's an interesting article because you really, um, calls out like the slippery slope of this, right? Well, you you know, from the, there's a lot of illogical parts of it. Just having the meetings on your calendar is illogical and not productive. Even if you cancel the meeting at the last minute and nobody has to go to the meeting. Like you just really addresses everything about this. It's illogical. But the thing I didn't think he brought up is that in the day and age now, like everybody's on Slack, right? People are just communicating on an instantaneous basis daily mm -hmm. for a team to where do you even need to meet because everybody kind of is already on the same, page and if they're not they're just going to type something in the slack group to get back on the same page as everybody else if they're confused or behind on something so it just seems uh yeah in this day and age he has a point maybe maybe yeah. it is time and you know i i've never been to a meeting ever into it you know <laughs> you've never been to a what a meeting no, no, a meeting yeah that's all we do sometimes i feel like get into it oh this so <laughs> could be a very very powerful thing if you know people yeah. try to do it well, it's a, it's a cultural thing, right? Um, and I think it makes sense. If, if you if you started working somewhere and and collaboration tools didn't exist and the only thing you had was email, then you really had no choice but to have 
standing meetings. It was the only way to keep people on track because you know email it doesn't work for that, right? Um, but with tools like Basecamp, with Slack, uh, you know, shameless self-promotion with Flowcast, you, you don't necessarily need that anymore, right? You don't need to have that standing meeting, or at least as many of them, because you can simply have a status update done, you know, asynchronously. You know, you can you can send a message to the group that says, "Hey, where, what's the status of this?" and everyone can give the status, and then you can move on. Yeah, there's probably been an app I bet for Slack or something that just goes harvests out and can determine what the uh, what the status of a project is just by looking at the conversations. Yeah, yeah, that actually that's one of the features of Basecamp that I really like, um, which is uh, it's called check-ins on Basecamp three. So you can specify for the app to email everyone a question on a daily or weekly basis, and then it'll compile all the answers into a thread. So the status could simply be like, is there anything getting in your way this week? And it could go out on like Thursday or something. And then everyone replies, and there you have it, right? You've done part of the standing meeting that you have to have. Um, oh, hey, we have we have a uh, comment from our friend Patty Scharf, who's listening. Hey, Patty, how are you doing? Um, Patty says, I'd hey, argue... I'd argue you don't really need meetings, but you definitely need group events for building culture. I think that's a very fair point. Um, having run uh, my own virtual accounting firm, uh, which is how I got to know Patty, and um, having you know worked in, in another one, I would say that uh, the, when you're totally virtual and you're not seeing people, then that's a problem, right? You don't have culture. Hard to build culture. So I guess I guess there should be a distinction, right, between Recurring meetings or, or meetings where it's just the point is to get on track with your work and meetings where the point is to uh, build culture. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks, Patty, and thanks for listening. Um, all right. We're getting close to the top of the hour, or actually it's the bottom of the hour because we're trying to do this in 30 minutes. So I'm going to move on to our final story of the day, which has to do with the Internal Revenue Service, everyone's favorite topic. But actually, I couldn't believe this. It's it's my my favorite thing combined with my least favorite thing in one article. The title is <laughs> How a Simple Tech Upgrade at the IRS Could Transform the Economy. This is an article on TechCrunch published on December 30th. And what it's about is it's about legislation that's been introduced in Congress by Patrick McHenry and uh, Cory Booker. Um, so it's a bipartisan bill to force the Internal Revenue Service to create an API, an application, what is it, application protocol interface or something like that. All I know is that's what's going to allow vendors, other companies, to plug into the IRS database and pull information with your authorization. So the idea is that instead of having to file a paper form uh, 4506T, uh, with the IRS in order to get uh, your tax transcripts sent to somebody, like say you're trying to get a mortgage, uh, you would simply uh, authorize uh, using personal information, and then that uh, mortgage company would be able to get that information uh, digitally, right? Just just the same way that we can uh, authorize um, QuickBooks to connect to our um, uh, bank, right? via uh, via some of those some of the integrations I think with like B of A and Wells Fargo right they're highly automated you just put in your username and password and it happens right so I'm very excited about this what do you think David 
mixed emotions, right? Like at some level, I agree with it for, as a citizen of the country, right? This kind of makes sense. It's efficient. But I also know that like it's very hard to build an API. It's very hard to maintain an API, especially if like after the fact, right? And I can look at, you know, if you build a product from scratch today, you'll probably build it with the thought of having an API from day one. And you'll architect it that way to have a scalable, good working API. But if you have a, something existing like a computer system that was designed to be closed for the last 30 years and then decide we're going to add an open API to it, it's a lot easier to write a bill in Congress than probably to actually make that happen. Oh, so, interesting. I, I think this can be very, very tough. Um, the other thing about the article deeper in, though, which I thought was interesting, is how the EU is requiring banks to open up their APIs, which I find very interesting because that has been um, kind of a struggle. This is where, you know, there's a lot of this concept. Some people probably heard of it, screen scraping, right? Mm -hmm. And so for QuickBooks, right, QuickBooks Online, for some of the banks, we can connect to the bank and download the transactions. For some, we have to just go to, in a way, it's like going to the web browser, signing in as you, figuring out where, where the bank transaction are, scraping them, and then sucking those down because they don't have APIs available. So I thought that was a, that actually was more interesting in this article to me, the fact that the EU is starting to require this, that banks open up their data via APIs. I would love to see that because uh, you can always tell when a bank feed is using screen scraping because that's when you have missing transactions or duplicated transactions or the feed just stops working all of a sudden, right? Because the bank changed its layout, something like that. I got a new logo and it just broke the whole page. Exactly. Yeah. That's all it takes with the screen scraping. Well, I'm sure there's just an army of people over at Intuit that have to deal with that kind of problem. This would this would save a lot of duplicated effort at all sorts of cloud accounting vendors who do this. Yeah. And, and, and on top of that, I think an, an API access to banks like this is just more efficient for the banks. Interesting. Because then we only ping, like right now, we have to ping them every bank for every transaction blindly. We just don't know. Well, it's like, hey, you're knocking on the door. Are there, are there new transactions to download? Are there new transactions to download? But to do that, we have to connect, sign in, go see the transactions and make that decision ourselves. Versus the other way, think about it. If they have an API, they can push it. Like, like, like we could just subscribe. Like, hey, this client X is connected to this Bank of America website. And it could push, hey, there's new transactions. Come download them. So in a way, it's actually very efficient for the banks because not we're not when I say we're like thousands of software providers and accountants aren't banging on the door of the bank constantly trying to download transactions that may not be there. Yeah. K Katie Preston agrees with you. She thinks it'd be awesome to have all the banks participate. And I, I also agree. I think we should, we should put that legislation in front of this legislation. <laughs> David, um, how do we, how do we, how do we create a bill and get that in front of Congress? <laughs> <laughs> There's probably an app for that. We'll have to check that down. Yeah, exactly. We need an app for creating legislation. Um, well, David, I want to thank you for all your time today and for you know sharing your thoughts. Uh, that's that's all our time we've got. If you want to uh, listen again live, we are going to be back here on CPA Academy recording live in February. I believe that is February 7th. And you can use the same registration link for this uh, episode, which will be posted in the show notes. And you can participate and, and ask questions, all that good stuff. Um, and if you would like to find out more about my company, you can visit us at flowcast.com. We're closed management software built by accountants for accountants. So meaning we, we 
we got sick of life in public accounting and we said, let's do something about why this sucks so much. And so now we're building an app to do that. Uh, you can visit me personally at blakeoliver.com. And David, uh, is uh, David, where can uh, folks reach you? Um, easiest is on Twitter. It's just at David Leary. Or you can uh, go to my website uh, for my newsletter. Like I said, I'll probably try to get predictions out this Saturday. I have a book picked up. I'm just not ready to hit send yet. Um, and you can just go to davidleary.com to uh, subscribe there. Awesome. Thanks again, David. And Matt, tossing it back to you.